Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. This episode of the CMO Podcast is part of our Leadership During Crisis series. For these short episodes, I am inviting back previous guests to see how they are leading during the pandemic, how they are addressing new challenges, and how they are providing for their consumers, their employees, and the public during these unprecedented times. Today, my guest on Leadership During Crisis is Jill Gregory, the Chief Marketing Officer of NASCAR. On this episode, we talk about how NASCAR, which was suddenly shut down as so many businesses were during the pandemic, how they pivoted to bring racing to its fans and to continue their momentum. We also talk in this episode about the stance Jill and her team take on social issues, banning the Confederate flag, speaking up for racial equality. They're a great example for other brands who are navigating the right thing to do during this crisis. This is my conversation with Jill Gregory. Listen, uh, I want to ta- start off by talking about the times we are in now. You know, you were about the first sports brand, entertainment brand to start up again after the world shut down in March. You know, you, you jumped into e-racing. I think your last live race was March 8th, and you were up starting live, live racing again, I think, in mid-May. So that is pretty remarkable. You've had 24 races, like 17 more to go. It's impressive. So I just want you to tell us about that. How did your team do it? How did you work differently? What leadership lessons did you all learn as you worked in a very different way very quickly? Yeah, Jim, it's such a great question. I think one that every brand, every CMO, every business person you talk to this year is going to have I think very similar stories and maybe very different stories. And it'll be such an amazing case study analysis to do once we get through this, if there is an end. Um, I think those are things that we're all looking at today, too. But it was really interesting um, you know, for a brand like ours and for uh, a sport like ours, our core product was not able to be delivered to our consumers, our fans. And so, you know, I know that other brands have been able to adapt and do different delivery mechanisms or different, you know, engagement mechanisms. Our core product, at least as we had traditionally done it for 70 plus years, um, did not exist. So we had to quickly, that was unlike anything that we had ever experienced. And so, um, there were a couple of things at play. One, you know, you're at a loss. You've got 2020 plans. You've got KPIs and metrics you're trying to hit. That's all out the window. And you're really looking at how are you going to keep the business afloat and what are you going to do to manage through you know, unchartered territory in terms of not having your core product available to your core consumers. So um, it was an adjustment. We were one of the last sports to stop racing or to stop competing. Um, I think there was one moment at that um, March weekend where we felt 
oh, we can do this. You know, we are unlike other sports. Our, our drivers are in cars and helmets and PPE for mm-hmm. us existed every day. Uh, but we very quickly learned that, you know, competing safely and for the safety of our competitors and the community, that wasn't going to be possible. So we had to take a step back immediately and grab the leadership team together and say, okay, what are we going to do now? And at the core of that is what do our fans want? What do our consumers want? And they want NASCAR. We're just going to have to figure out a way to deliver it to them in a different form. So how did your team work differently? Are there any rituals, habits that did you start, you know, daily standups? I mean, you were, I assume you were working remote at the beginning. So what, what, did, how did you work as a team differently? Yeah, so immediately we had a four o'clock standing call every day. And that was, and as you know, the business, the world was changing so rapidly. You know, you shut down, you've got, you know, different scenarios happening in different markets. Um, you had office shuts down. So obviously we are here in Charlotte. Uh, we've got our main office in Daytona Beach. New York and LA are both, um, you know, key outposts for us. Everybody was shut down, so you had a few things that needed to be addressed, not just our core product, but our people, and how are they feeling, how are we taking care of them. So the standing call at 4 o'clock um, on Friday, or, uh, every day, and then over time, we kind of, we were able to move it to Monday, Wednesday, Friday, which seemed like such a relief at the time, um, but it was all the key functional leaders of all of the business. So you have a key EVP leadership team at NASCAR, um, but also got all of our business unit leaders together and really talked through what was happening, how it was impacting each piece of the business and where the interdependencies and decisions that need to be made. So we don't have unintended consequences of acting to solve one problem that we were trying to address and creating several others across the organization. Now, as part of all that, you've taken a stance, the leadership stance on some social issues and with perhaps your most symbolic act to ban the Confederate flag from your events. So many brands, so many of your colleagues at your client brands all across the world are trying to figure out their purpose, where to be on social issues, where their point of view is, you know, how, how vocal they are. So, and, you know, obviously your act went, was, was highly social and went around the world very, very quickly. Can you tell us that story and what others could learn from it? And what led you to that decision? How you feel about it now? Was there anything unexpected that happened? Yeah, I think for 2020, when we look back on it, everybody's going to have a different, you know, um, view of how everything went down and, and what the key learnings were. I think for me personally, um, the actions that we took as a sport, as a leadership team is going to be the um, kind of the shining star. Yes, we got back to racing, hugely important. Obviously, it's our livelihood. Um, but to seize that moment and look at an opportunity to act in a way that maybe was a little bit unexpected for our brand, um, very risky in terms of our fan base, to be quite honest, um, in some cases. Um, and to take that opportunity and seize it, I think for me, as I mentioned, it's going to be one of my proudest moments, if not the proudest moment I've had at NASCAR. But it also was, you know, a, a beacon for the industry and, and for our partners, our brands and everybody else. So I think that 
because we were one of the first sports back and one of the, the most visible sport back, um, when that weekend um, kind of following the George Floyd's murder happened and you there was a lot of, of discussion and uh, feeling of you know, the need to do something to, to showcase our feelings on the position, um, to show that sports should have a role and can have a role in, in weighing in on social issues. We had a unique opportunity where we had a national platform, a television broadcast, our drivers, which was really encouraging, raised their hand uh, to say we would like to make our voices known and, and our position known. Uh, so it all really came together as a place where we had a chance to make a very public statement that the leadership team all agreed on. So our uh, president, Steve Phelps, asked us all to come into a room. This is the situation that we have uh, ahead of us. Is everybody on board with this? And the other gratifying thing is that to a person, everybody was on board. And that was in making a stand um, and then kind of enforcing that with the ban on the Confederate flag. That was a very visible um, act that we could do, but really put the meat behind what we were saying our position was on social justice. This uh, confluence of events that you have been in the middle of, in, in many ways, Bubba Wallace has become a huge face of the sport. You know, uh, what does that mean for the brand? And what did you expect that? Is that something you could have predicted three months ago? Yeah, you know, Bubba has always been a very um, dynamic personality in our sport. Um, that's not, that was pre-2020. Um, but what I think we have seen as an industry, uh, we knew he had passion, we knew he had commitment. But what I think the general public has seen is an athlete that's really found their voice and found the ability to provide an opinion, provide a point of view and not be afraid. Um, you know, in our sport, there are a lot of different um, kind of forces at work. There's sponsorship and, you know, scheduling and, you know, and the need to perform um, all kind of influence what, you know, particularly what a driver can say. And so to have the ability and the confidence to take a stand in social justice and then to put himself out there on, you know, every media opportunity, morning show, evening show, um, and articulate how he really felt. I've been so proud. And, and the reason I believe that it has worked is that in every scenario, even when I could tell he's tired and he's feeling a little frayed, it was authentic. This is what he really believed. And whatever, however he said it in whatever given interview, it was very clear that on that authenticity and truth came out. And I think that's what's resonated with kind of the general public, sponsors, media partners, you name it. Um, you've seen a driver kind of grow up and, and mature into this spokesperson kind of before your eyes. And it's been really interesting to see. Well, 2020 has been the most unusual year for all of us in our careers, I believe. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com.
I want to take us back to 2007 when you came to NASCAR as CMO. So that's 13 years ago. I was still at P&G. So, um, and I, it's, I want to, our business is so dynamic. I want you to reflect a little bit about the biggest non-obvious changes you have seen since coming to NASCAR in 2007 in four areas. And the first one is, and this is a little bit of a lightning round. We'll get to a bigger one at the end of the podcast. So fans and consumers, what's the biggest non-obvious change in the last 13 years? You know, I think the the customizing of of the content and the fan making the decision on what they want, when they want it, what platform they want it on. And so when I started my career here, um, NASCAR was appointment viewing, and that was a good thing at the time. Um, you know, you come, you know, our fans um, in the South and other places come home from church, have a nice supper, and watch the NASCAR race. And it was a four-hour block, and we ran our commercials, our promotions, and I wasn't CMO at the time, obviously, but um, we had a formula. And this is, if we wanted fans to see us, then they had to come to where we are at the time that we were there. Um, that You take every single thing about what I just said and go 180 degrees, because we cannot expect a fan to come see us and find us, we need to be in front of them in every form, in every platform, in every piece of content, um, places we don't even think that they want us to be, we need to be. And that's top of mind, you know, awareness for any brand right now. There's so much customization of what a fan or consumer wants. And for us, if we're not figuring out ways to insert ourselves into every piece of a fan's psyche or a fan's choice, then we're missing opportunities. And that's been, I think, the biggest transformation for us. And I think for every brand. I want to go down that a little bit more while we're on that topic. How did you lead the transformation of your marketing capabilities to do that 180? Every CMO is trying to build capabilities for the future and anticipate what they have to build. You've done a pretty good job of doing that. How did you do it? Yeah, I think, Jim, the the biggest thing I would say, and it's a great question because I've never had to necessarily articulate it this way, which is why um, your content is so compelling, is, you know, rather than small tweaks, hey, you know, we're doing 21 planning and we need to slightly tweak the 20 plan. I think what we had to do was wash everything away and start from scratch. So instead of being an advertising focused um, marketing department, we needed to be content first. And that, that's not unique to us, but we had longstanding big agency relationships that were very formulaic and had worked well. Um, you know, we had institutional inventory, the 30 second spots, everything, um, our marketing assets available to us were pretty formulaic. We had to take all of that and basically throw it away and start from scratch. If we are going to put NASCAR into places where fans don't expect us to be, we're going to have to do it in a different way with different people, with a different brand message. And so I think the biggest change was rather than small tweaks year over year to a business plan, it's clean sheet of paper. What are we trying to achieve? And then what are the tools that we need? Um, and it, it was a revamp of the folks that we have internally, the partners that we had externally, um, and then how we engaged with our media partners primarily, but just even partners overall and had them come along on the ride with us. 
So, Joe, we just talked about the change in fans and consumers and the capabilities that you're building. Now, what's the biggest non-obvious change you've seen in this big world of marketing and branding? Um, you know, I think that a little bit to riff off of what we talked about before, it's, you know, this idea of not just for us, but the consumer choice and the um, the options that are available and trying to break through the clutter and, you know, taking a bet on the new platform, the new messaging, the new um you know, way to reach a consumer. If you're not willing to adapt and be flexible and kind of challenge the status quo, um, then you're not going to be able to be competitive. And I think that we were able to do that um, earlier on. And then that kind of mindset has led us to, I think, maybe the ability to be a little more nimble on 2020 when it came about um, since we had done that kind of over the past several years. Do you do that largely internally? There's this big debate about what you should do inside versus outside the company. You have to move very fast. Your content has to be authentic to you. So have you built built more muscles inside to do that at the speed you need to? We have. In fact, we, um, so kind of early on uh, several years ago, even NASCAR.com and our digital offerings were outsourced and, and that was the right model at the time. Um, but very quickly, you know, in this new world of content and staying relevant, if you didn't control your own destiny, then that was going to be very hard, um, to do. So we've built the muscle inside. We've got content creators, um, that are constantly challenging, you know, what we're providing to the fans in terms of functionality and ways to connect and, you know, things like, um, the ability to take a NASCAR race on the go with you, watch it on your phone, listen to driver and crew chief chatter, real-time stats. Um, those were all things that you'd have to be sitting down in front of a television or um, a computer screen. And now if those things aren't on the go and a bit able to be adapted to someone that's never going to sit in front of a television again, perhaps, um, then they're missing the boat. And we do a lot of that development here from a social standpoint. All of the content creation is done here internally. And so it's been different, obviously, with um, the virtual nature of what we do. No one's going to races. So we are racing um, and there are cars going around the track. But in order to maintain protocols and safety, we're not sending our content creators out on the road. So they're now even more challenged to say, how do I bring the excitement of NASCAR racing to the fan when I'm not there to collect it? And so I think that the team here has done an amazing job and, you know, curating uh, different content for the different platforms. You know, those are table stakes right now for uh, for any brand. But um, to do it under the guise of also not being able to interact with your core product is added a little bit of level of complexity. But uh, the team here is great. We've got a, um, a digital and social content team um, that is constantly thinking of new ways to bring the fans closer. That was my conversation with Jill Gregory. I thought what was remarkable about this discussion was how NASCAR took such a proactive stance on so many social issues, banning the Confederate flag, standing up for racial equality. I thought it took tremendous courage, and I thought Jill and her team's efforts on this were an absolute inspiration. That's it for this episode of our Leadership During Crisis series. We hope you enjoyed this follow-up episode 
and found value and insight into how these leaders and brands are operating during this pandemic. If you found this episode interesting or helpful, I would be so grateful if you shared it with your friends. And if you gave the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Subscribe to the show and get notified every time we publish a new episode. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.